Welcome to Machine Learning. During the Six-Day War, where Egypt was attacking Israel and Syria and Jordan, there was an event that occurred with the U.S. at Liberty that I want to talk about. The question is, why were the Israelis firing on a U.S. warship? If you are saying that they were trying to sink it, then you are saying the Israelis wanted to kill the Americans. It doesn't make sense. If you say that they were trying to sink it, but didn't realize it was the U.S., then you're saying the Israelis are stupid. If you say that they didn't know it was us, then you're saying they didn't know it was an American ship. Okay, there's some things that make it questionable whether they had the the flag. The design was definitely an American uh, warship. Um, so visually you could see that it was an American warship. So that would, that would, uh, they, for some reason that they, they knew it was, they had to have known it was an American warship before they, they fired. If you say that they did know it was us, then you're saying that they were deliberately firing on their ally. So the war in Six-Day War was actually a battle between Russia and the U.S. Um, by the Yom Kippur in 72, it was definitely a clash between the U.S. and Russia. All right, going back to the event. Let's move back to the event. So which is it? Is there any wonder that people find it hard to accept the official version? And why would you avoid using the term official when it comes to the USS Liberty? Okay, the official version was that they didn't realize that it was a U.S. ship, warship, and they thought it was the enemy ship. You're right. Should I have said, why did the Israelis shoot at a USS Liberty? Because they would be the, that would be the correct question. I think the correct answer is a little more complicated than you make it to be. But it seems to me that it boils down to the fact that the Israelis did not know it was an American ship. I think it would have been a little odd for them to fire on an American ship, but I'm sure that it would have been completely... Uh, not sure that it would have been completely out of the question. The reason I say the answer is more complicated is because the Israelis have been known to do some pretty odd things in the past. For instance, they've been known to abduct people from the street and torture them in secret prisons. They also have been known to claim that they were not involved in such things and then turn around years later and admit that they were. You know, I don't know how Daniel Silva does his research, but often when you read his books, it suggests that Israeli intelligence does act oddly. The Israelis have also been known to do pretty odd things with their citizens. So while I'm not saying it's impossible that they would have shot at the U.S. Liberty, I do think that it's a bit more complicated than you make it out to be. Okay, I'm going to read... Uh, let me go over here. Gotta find it. This is one of those events that you 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 know you have to think about and then try to figure out what what happened. It's one of those kind of events that it's surprising that no one would talk about it. And in the particular article where I read about this is that it was, um, they were told people that were on the ship that not to talk about what had happened. And so it goes down in history as one of those things that happened, but no one knows what, what why or what, what happened. Kind of an embarrassment actually.
Um, just a second, I'm moving through all my articles to find the one I'm looking for. Didn't realize it was that far back. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Guess I've been thinking about this for quite a while. Uh huh. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Hmm. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Building up the suspense here. close keep going keep going wow it's a long ways back still going keep pass all this stuff on Trump One second. Okay, so we're going to go. So this is what Wikipedia says on it. it said the U.S. Liber Liberty incident was an attack reportedly due to misidentification. So that's the official version on the United States Navy technical research ship. Spy ship. Um... So, why what were what was going on there? The Israeli and see it wasn't just the warship that was firing on the U.S. Liberty. There were Air Israeli Air Force fighters that were also uh, firing on it, and they torpedoed the boat and damaged the front part of the U.S. Liberty. Thirty-four members of the of the ship were killed. Um, 171 were wounded, and at the time, the ship was in international waters, north of Sinai, about 25 miles. So it wasn't in enemy water, and it seems pretty obvious that they, it was a target. Um, Israelis apologized for the attack, saying the U.S. Liberty had been attacked in air after been mistaken for an Egyptian ship. Well, even if it was an Egyptian ship, it was still in international waters. So why was it shooting it down in international waters? Both the Israeli and U.S. government conducted inquiries, issued reports, and concluded the attack was mistaken due to an Israeli confusion about the ship's identity. It makes you wonder about what that that particular set was um and they cite Gerhard and Milton, 1981. In May of 1968, the Israeli paid $3.31 million equivalent to $25 million in 2021 to the U.S. government in compensation for the families of the 34 men killed. What about the 171 that were injured? In March of 1969, Israel paid... Uh, so they paid that money, and in December 1980, it was agreed to pay $6 million, or $19.7 million in 2021 dollar terms as final settlement for the material damage, plus 13 years of interest. Okay, so during the Six-Day War between Israel and the Arab nations, the United States maintained a neutral country status. So that means that they were not interfering. Several days before the war began, USS Liberty was ordered to proceed to the eastern uh, Mediterranean area to perform signals intelligence collecting mission in international waters near 
the coast of Sinai, Egypt. After the war erupted due to concerns about its safety as it approached its patrol area, several messages were sent to Liberty to increase its allowable close point of approach, CPA, to Egypt's and Israel's coast 12.5 and 6.5 nautical miles, respectively, to 20 and 15 miles. So they're moving out further. And later they move out 100 miles, nautical miles, from both countries. And so they're sitting out in the middle of this ocean and they're doing signal processing. Unfortunately, due to ineffective message handling and routing, these messages were not received until after the attack. According to the Israeli sources at the start of the war, June Yizhak Rabin, Israel Air Force Chief of Staff, informed Commander Ernest Carl Castle, the American Navy attache in Tel Aviv, that Israel would defend its coast with every means at its disposal, including sinking unidentified ships. Well, how did the U.S. ship become an unidentified ship? He asked the U.S. to keep its ships away from the Israel coast, which they were, 100 miles is a long ways away, or at least informed Israel of exact positions. Did they do that? It's uncertain. American sources said there was no inquiry about ships in the area and was made until after the attack on Liberty. So they're basically saying that Israel didn't follow its due diligence. It didn't ask if they had ships out there. It just attempted to destroy one of them. In a message sent from U.S. Secretary Dean Rusk to U.S. Ambassador Walworth uh, Barber, Tel Aviv, Israel, Rusk asked for urgent confirmation of Israel's statement. Barber responded, no request for info on U.S. ships operating off Sinai was made until after Liberty incident. Further, Barber stated, had Israelis made such an inquiry, it would have been forward immediately to the Chief of Naval Operations and High Naval Command and repeat to the State Department. Outbreak of war, William L. McGonagall of Liberty immediately asked Vince Admiral William L. Martin, the United States Sixth Fleet Headquarters, to send a destroyer to accompany Liberty and serve as an armed escort and auxiliary communications center. Okay, so it's important. I mean, the Liberty's out there, and they sent a destroyer to accompany it. Um, so it's a valued asset, and they don't want they don't want it to get shot down, or they don't want to get shot at. The following day, Admiral Martin replied, Liberty is clearly marked United States ship in international waters. They had their flag up. It looks like a U.S. warship. Okay. Um, it doesn't look like an Egyptian one. He promised, however, that in an unlikely event of an inverted attack, jet fighters from the 6th Fleet would be overhead in 10 minutes. So that means that there would have been a dogfight that would have occurred also and maybe there was one there would have been a report in that they were under attack they would um, take time before the torpedo hit their boat and jets would have been up in the air immediately Uh, meanwhile in the united nations on 6th of june arthur goldberg told the security council the vessels of the sixth fleet were several hundred miles from the conflict uh okay several hundred miles like if you're doing Mach 3 how fast could you cover several hundred miles in response to Egyptian complaints that the United States was supporting Israel in the conflict when this statement was made it was in fact Liberty now assigned to the 6th fleet was in the central Mediterranean Sea passing by Libya and Crete it would only ultimately steam to about 15 miles north of the Sinai Peninsula. Okay, now it's in Egyptian territory. It's close. On June, night of June 7th, Washington time, early morning, June 8th, uh, 3 a.m. local time, Pentagon issued an order to the 6th Fleet headquarters to tell Liberty to come no closer than 100 nautical miles to Israel, Syria, or Sinai coast. Okay, that's precautionary because they've already been warned to stay off the coastline. Any identified ships will be shot at. Tensions were high. According to Naval Court of Inquiry and the National Security Agency official history, the order to withdraw was not sent on radio frequency. The Liberty monitored for her orders until 
1525 Zulus several hours after the attack. Huh, that's strange. Due to a long series of administrative and message routing problems. Why is it whenever there's a disaster, they always blame messaging and routing problems? Can't they get those type of things fixed beforehand? I mean, this is operations and mission critical things are happening and then they blame it on messaging routing problems. It's very strange. Navy said a large volume of unrelated high precedent traffic, including intelligent intercepts related to the conflict, were being handled at the time. And this, combined with the shortage of qualified radio men, contributed to the delayed transmission of the withdrawal message. Well, they're still 100 miles off the coast, so they should have been safe. Um, so they're basically saying they didn't get the message, they didn't get the information, so they wouldn't, they, they, uh, that caused the official error. Okay, so let's talk about the visual contact. Official testimony combined with Liberty's deck log established that throughout the morning of the attack, 8 June, the ship was overflown at various times and location by the Israeli Air Force aircraft. Okay, they were look, taking a look at it and seeing what is this thing down there, and they, they were aware of it, but they weren't shooting at that point. Primary aircraft type was NORAD, NOR Atolas. There was... There were also two unidentified Delta Wing jets at about 9 a.m. Sinai time. Liberty crew members saw that one of the Nortoles aircraft flew so close to Liberty that the noise of its propellers rattled the ship, ship's deck plating and the pilots and crewmen waved to each other. All right, that does sound strange, but they don't, they don't act like they're going to gun them down at this point. It was later reported, based on the information from the IDF sources, that the overflights were coincidental and the aircraft were hunting for Egyptian submarines that had been spotted near the coast. So why the near uh, flyover, where they could actually wave and see each other? Just uh, showing off? At 5.45 a.m. Sinai time, a ship sighting, Report was received at Israeli Central Coastal Command in respect to Liberty, identified by aerial naval observer as apparently a destroyer sailing 70 miles west of Gaza. The vessel location was marked as on a CCC control tablet using red marker indicating identified unidentified vessel. Hmm. Okay, now that's the key pieces of their evidence. Right there is that they haven't identified it. 6 a.m. Aerial Naval Observer Major Yuri Mertz reported that the ship appeared to be a U.S. Navy supply ship. All right. Now they identified it as U.S. Navy ship. Uh, at 9 a.m., the red marker was replaced with a green marker to indicate a neutral vessel. At about the same time, an Israeli uh, fighter pilot reported that a ship 20 miles north of Arish had fired at his aircraft after he tried to identify the vessel. Okay, tensions are high. And so the Israeli Air Force is now concerned that any ship within proximity might be an enemy ship. Israel Naval Command dispatched two destroyers to investigate, but returned to their previous position at 9 40 a.m. after doubts emerged during the pilot debriefing. So nothing really came out of that that interchange. After the naval observer Nortolus landed and he was debriefed, the ship he saw was further identified as the USS Liberty based on its GTR-5 hull markings. Okay, are they saying at this point that the U.S. Liberty fired on the Nortilus, and now it's it's uh, uh, marked as an enemy ship. Okay, let's see what they say, because that's what it just said is that what they, when he was the Israeli fighter pilot reported that a ship twenty miles north of Ertish had fired on his aircraft after he tried to identify the vessel. Okay, later on he says when he landed, he identified that as the USS Liberty. At eleven. 25, the Israeli chief of naval operations received a report that Arish was being shelled from the sea. 
An inquiry into the source of the report was ordered to determine of its validity. The report came from an air support officer in Arish. Additionally, 1127, the Israeli Supreme Command head of the operations received a report stating that a ship had been shelling Arish, but the shells had fallen short. The investigative journalist James Bamford points out the Liberty had only four 50 caliber machine guns mounted on her decks and thus could not have been shelling the coast. Okay, so there's another ship out there that's doing that, but Liberty is somehow getting blamed. The head of operations ordered that the ship be verified and it was to determine whether or not Israeli Navy vessels were off the coast of Erish. 11.45, another report arrived at Supreme Command saying two ships were approaching the Erish uh, coast. The shelling and ship reports were passed from Supreme Command to Fleet Operations Control Center. The Chief of Naval Operations took them seriously, and at 12 p.m., Torpedo Boat Division 914 was ordered to patrol in the direction of Erish. Codename Pogada was under the command of Motion R. Aaron. It consisted of three torpedo boots uh, numbered T203, T204, T206. At 12.15 p.m., Division 914 received orders to patrol position 20 miles north of Erish, where the shelling is occurring. Commander Oren headed toward Erish. He was informed by naval operations of reports of shelling of Erish and told the Israeli Air Force aircraft would be dispatched to the area after the target had been detected. Chief of Staff Yizhak Mermin was concerned and that the supposed Egyptian shelling was prelude to an amphibious landing that would outflank Israeli forces. So they were concerned that they could land uh, and then they would run uh, a, a flanking move that could then damage Israeli forces. So Ravine's going to interact. Ravine uh, iterated the standing order to sink any unidentified ships in the area. So not, they're not even going to, at that point, if it's identified as unidentified, they're going to shoot at it. But advise caution as Soviet vessels were reportedly operating nearby. At 1.48 p.m., the torpedo boats detected an unknown vessel 20 miles north of Erish. Okay, so... The U.S. Liberty is supposed to be 100 miles off the coast. It's not. It's 20 miles in, uh, off the coast of Erish, where all this uh, activity is occurring. Wrong place, wrong time. The ship's speed was estimated on the radars. The combat information officer, the T-204 Ensign Aran Yifa, reported to Oren that the target had been detected at a range of 22 miles, that her speed was tracked for a few minutes, and after which he determined that the target was moving westward at a speed of 30 knots. The data was forwarded to Fleet Operations Control Center. The speed of the target was significant because it indicated the target was a combat vessel. Okay, so because it's moving at 30 knots. Moreover, Israeli forces had standing orders to fire on unknown vessels selling in the area at over 20 knots. So if it's at 30 knots, it's a military vessel, unidentified, they're going to fire on it. Chief of Naval Operations asked torpedo boats to double-check their calculations. Yihar, Yifar twice recalculated, confirmed his assessments. Minutes later, Commander Oren reported that, ta- that the target, now 17 miles from his position, was moving at a speed of 28 knots, 32 miles an hour, on a different heading. Bamford, however, points out that Liberty's top speed was far below 28 knots. Yeah, maybe. His uh, sources say that at the time of the attack, Liberty was following her signal intercept mission course along the Sinai coast at about five knots. That's not consistent with what the Israelis were reporting. They were reporting a ship moving at 28 knots. So either their instrumentation is bad or um, there's some false information being given about how fast the ship was moving. The data on the ship's speed together with its direction gave the impression that it was an Egyptian destroyer fleeing towards the port after shelling Erish. Torpedo boats gave chase, but did not expect to overtake their target before reaching Egypt. 
Commander Oren requests the Israeli Air Force dispatch aircraft to intercept. At 148, the Chief of Naval Operations requests dispatch of fighter aircraft to ship location. The Israeli dispatched a flight of Mirage 3 fighter planes codenamed Carusa Flight, which arrived at Liberty at 2 p.m. Formation leader Captain Iftek Spector attempted to identify the ship. He radioed to one of the torpedo boats. His observation that the ship looked like a military ship with one smokestack and one mass. He also indicated that the ship appeared to him like a destroyer or another type of ship. So they identify that it is a military ship, but they don't identify it as an American military ship. In a post-attack statement, the pilot said they saw no distinguishing marks or flag on the ship. But yet, the U.S. Um, version is that there was a flag flying and there were markings on the ship. At this point, a recorded exchange which took place between command headquarters weapons system officers, one of the air controllers, and chief air controller questioning a possible American presence. Immediately after the exchange at 1.57 p.m., the chief air controller, Lieutenant Colonel Shmuel Kislev, cleared the mirages to attack. Okay, so now the fighter planes are in route and they're going to hit the warship, the U.S. warship. After clearing to attack, the Mirage dove on the ship, tacked with 30 millimeter cannons and rockets. Uh, the attack came a few minutes after the crew completed a chemical attack drill with Captain McGonagall. At command bridge, the crew was in standing down mode with the helmets and life jackets removed. Okay, now all of a sudden they're getting hit with um, machine gun fire. Batting, battle readiness modified condition 3 was set and meant that the ship's four fifty caliber machine guns were manned and ammunition was ready for loading and firing. Okay, they're ready to fight. Eight crewmen were either killed immediately or received fatal injuries and died later. Seventy-five were wounded. The wounded were as McGonagall, uh, who was hit in the right thigh and arm. During the attack, the antennas were severe, severed, uh, gas drums caught fire, and the ship flag was knocked down. So there, the flag was up. McGonagall sent a urgent request for help from the 6th Fleet. Under attack by unidentified jet aircraft, Immediate require immediate assistance. The Mirages left after expending their ammunition, so they dumped all their ammunition into the war machine, hurt a lot of people, and then departed. Uh, thus, our super mystique, codename Royal Flight. Mysterious was were armed with napalm bombs and were flown by Captain Yoshi Zuk and his wingman Yokov Hammerish. The mysteries released their payloads over the ship and stratified it with their cannons. Much of the ship's superstructure caught fire. Uh, they're raining down hell on, on that ship. The mysteries were ready to attack again when the Israeli Navy, alerted by the absence of return fire, warned Kislev that the target could be Israeli. Wait, so they're not seeing any return fire. They're kind of baffled at that, and they're, they're wondering if it was they're shooting at a friendly ship. Kislev told the pilots not to attack if there was any doubt about identification. And the Israeli Navy quickly contacted all of its vessels in the area. The Navy, Israeli Navy found that none of its vessels were under fire. So they know that it's not Israeli now. So they assume that it's Egyptian. However, Kislev was still disturbed by the lack of return fire and requested one last attempt to identify the ship. Captain Zook made an attempt at identifying while stratified the ship. He reported seeing no flag, but saw the ship's GTR 5 markings. Kislev immediately ordered the attack stop. Kislev guessed the ship was American. The fact the ship had Latin alphabet markings led Chief of Staff Rebin to fear the ship was Soviet. 
Though Egyptian warships were known to disguise their identities with Western markings, they usually displayed Arabic letters and numbers only. Rabin ordered the torpedo boats to remain at a safe distance from the ship and sent in two Hornet helicopters to search for survivors. These radio communications were recorded by Israel. The order was recorded in torpedo boats log. Along, Captain Oren claimed not to have received it. Oh, the messaging routing problem. The order to cease fire was given 2.20 p.m., 24 minutes before the torpedo boats arrived at Liberty's position. This is a strange act because it's very vulnerable. Liberty hasn't been firing back. They've taken a lot of damage. There's been uh, deaths, and now the torpedo boat is being arrived. During that interval, crewmen aboard Liberty hoisted a large American flag during the early part of the attack and before the torpedo boats were signed, Liberty sent a distress message which was received by the 6th Fleet Carrier U.S. Saratoga. Aircraft Carrier U.S. American dispatched eight aircraft. Okay, it's going to take 10 minutes for them to arrive. The carrier had been in the middle of strategic exercise. Uh, Vice Admiral William Martin recalled the aircraft minutes later. That's strange. Okay, they were dispatched, which would have then provided U.S. Liberty protection, but they're recalled back. Okay, so let's see what happens. McGonagall testified in the Navy Naval Court of Inquiry that during the latter moments of the air attack, it was noted that three high-speed boats were approaching the ship from northeast on relative bearing approximately 135 degrees at a distance of 15 nautical miles. The ship at the time was still on a westward course, 283 degrees true, speed unknown, but believed to be in excess of five knots. Five knots is very slow. That's walking speed. Mick Nagel testified that he believed that the time of the initial sighting of the torpedo boats was 1420, and the boats appeared to be in a wedge formation with the center boat, the lead point of the wedge. Estimated speed of the boats was 27 to 30 nautical knots, or 50 to 56 kpm per hour, and that it appeared that they were approaching the ship in torpedo launch attitude. When the torpedo boats arrived, Commander Orrin could see the ships could not be the destroyer that supposedly shelled Erish or any ship capable of 30 knots, 56 kilometers per hour speed. According to Michael Limor, Israeli naval reservist serving on one of the torpedo boats, they attempted to contact the ship by helograph and radio but received no response. So they're out 20,000 feet, T204, pause signal AA, which means identify yourself. Due to damaged equipment, McGonagall could only reply using a handheld outless lamp. Well, they should be able to read that and say, you know, we're friendly, we're friendly, don't fire on us. Orrin recalled receiving a similar response from Abram El Awel, Egyptian destroyer, captured by Israel during the Suez crisis and when convinced that he was facing an enemy ship, he consulted the Israeli identification guide to the Arab fleets and concluded the ship was Egyptian supply ship, El Qusur. The intelligence here is so bad. I mean, they're jumping to all these conclusions. The captain of the T- 203 reached the same conclusion independently. Okay, it's Egyptian. They're going to fire. As the torpedo boats rapidly approached, Captain McGonagall ordered a seller to proceed to the machine gun mount 51 and open fire. Now that's bad because if they're opening fire, they assume that there's they're the enemy ship. However, he noticed that the boats appeared to be flying an Israeli flag and realized that there was a possibility of aircraft having been Israeli and the attack had been conducted in air. Captain McGonagall ordered the man at gun 51 to hold fire, but a short burst was fired at the torpedo boats before the man understood the order. Okay, the fight is on. McGonagall ordered the machine gun mount 53, began firing at the central Torpedo boat at the same time, uh, 
gun 51 fired and that the fire was extremely effective and blanketed the area and sent a torpedo bulk. Machine gun 53 was located at starboard midship side behind the pilot house. McGonagall um, could not see or get to mount 53 from the starboard wing of the bridge. So he sent Mr. Lucas around the port side of the bridge, around to the light, lighthouse skylights to see if he could tell Seaman Quintaro, whom he believed to be the gunner at Machine Gun 53, to hold fire. Ensign Lucas reported back in a few minutes in a fact that he could see no one at Mount 53. Lucas, who had left the command bridge during the air attack and returned to assist Captain Mc. Go Nagel believed that the sound of gunfire was likely from the ammunition cooking off due to nearby fire. Previously, Lucas had granted a request from Quintaro to fire at the torpedo boats before heat from nearby fire chased him from gun mount 53. McGonagall later testified at the court of inquiry this was effective, likely the extreme effective firing event he had observed. After coming under fire, the torpedo boats fired with their cannons, killing Liberty Helmsman. Torpedo boats then launched five torpedoes at Liberty. One torpedo hit Liberty on starboard side forward of the superstructure, creating a 39-foot-wide hole in which had been a cargo hold converted to the ship's reserves and killing 25 servicemen, almost all of them from intelligence section and wounded dozens. It had been said that the torpedo hit a major hole frame that absorbed much of the energy. Crew members reported that if the torpedo had missed the frame, Liberty would have split in two. The four torpedoes missed the ship. Okay, now it's the damage is done. Torpedo ships then closed in, the stratified the ship's hull with their cannons and machine guns. Clearly, at this point, they've got to know that they've shot on a U.S. warship. According to some crewmen, the torpedo ships fired at the damaged control parties, sellers preparing life rafts for launch. A life raft, which floated from the ship, were picked up by T-203, found to bear U.S. Navy markings 204, then Circle Liberty and Orange spotted the designation GTR-5, but saw no flag. It's 3.30 p.m. Established a ship's identity shortly after Liberty's identity was confirmed. Saratoga launched eight aircraft armed with conventional weapons towards Liberty. After the ships was confirmed, general staff was notified. Apology was sent to Naval Attaché Castle. So many things went wrong there. So many things went wrong. Um, and... The strangeness of this is in this was a time of war. This was a six-day war. And why there wasn't better coordination between the alloys, between Israeli intelligence and U.S. intelligence, what was going on. So there was an inherent risk to have the U.S. liberty so close to an area of hostile activity that was going on and not being coordinated with the Israeli intelligence. Um, And for some reason, there was no identification or confirmation that this was a U.S. ship until after the fact. So at 4 p.m., two hours after the attack, Israel informed U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv that its military forces had mistakenly attacked a U.S. Navy ship. When the ship was confirmed to be American, the torpedo boats returned at about 4.40 p.m. to offer help. It was refused by the Liberty. Later, Israel provided a helicopter to fly U.S. Naval Attaché Commander Castle to the ship. You know, you got a 39-foot hole, four, 35 men have been killed, and you're not, rece- you're not willing to accept help. 
That's strange. Um, what's strange also is where was the eight aircraft that could have been dispatched and then were recalled? It never explains why they were recalled. I mean, they were being fired on by the Israeli Air Force. Was the was there some um, reason that the U.S. Air Force was not willing to engage the Israeli Air Force in air combat? It says at the time of the attack, the U.S. Liberty was flying the American flag, and its identification was clearly indicated in white letters. Numerals on its hull. U.S. Liberty was identified, or at least her nationality, determined by Israeli aircraft approximately one hour before the attack. Subsequent attack by the torpedo boats, substantially after the vessel should have identified by Israeli military forces. See, there, there's the thing that we say is that they acted oddly. Identification of is being made, but they acted oddly, and then they blame the message routing system as why they didn't get the communication properly at command center. And now everything is going to the command centers and the politicians and it goes down in history as one of the terrible disasters uh, in naval history. It says that McGonagall received the Medal of Honor, the highest U.S. medal for his actions. Medal of Honor is generally presented by, presented by the President of the United States in the White House, but this time it was awarded at the Washington Navy Yard by Secretary of Navy in an unpublicized ceremony. Seems like they didn't want to make that publicly known. Everything about the liberty seems like it was meant to be kept quiet. Other liberty soldiers received decorations for their actions during and after the attack, but most of the award citations omitted mention of Israel as a perpetrator. Silver Star was awarded to crewman Terry Halberder, who braved machine gun and cannon fire to repair a damaged antenna that restored the ship's communication in which he was cited Israel was named as the attacker. <coughs> well, there's some disputes. So they actually showed the um, flag and the Israelis say that they're they didn't see any flags. So the question is the visibility of the flag. Official Israel reports say that a reconnaissance and fighter aircraft pilots and torpedo boat captains did not see any flag on the U.S. Liberty. Official American reports say the Liberty was flying her American flag before, during, and after the attack, and only exceptional being a brief period in which one flag had been shot down and was replaced with a larger flag. The helicopter sent to attack the site provided assistance after the air attack noticed the American flag flying from the ship almost immediately upon their arrival at the attack site. That is really strange because if they saw that flag, why didn't they call in and say, this is an ally ship, we need to call off the attack? So did the fighter or did the helicopter pilots just keep that information to themselves? Why wouldn't they have reported that in? And why wasn't there a question about that reported in the transcript when they did the inquiry? Because at that point there was no need to have torpedo boats sent out there. There were an hour before the torpedo boats arrived. Um US Crewman's perception of the intent, surviving crewmen of Liberty say that Israel attacked on the ship was deliberate and full knowledge that the vessel was American. So they're saying that, you know, they don't believe that Israel thought they were an Egyptian ship. Distinct enough of the U.S. Liberty appearance 
is dispute whether Liberty could have been immediately identified as a different vessel. Yeah, and especially with military where they're trained to identify the different ships, they can do it by the sound of the propellers in the water. There's all kinds of visual features for identification of the ship. What was it about the U.S. Liberty that could have made Israel believe that it was a Egyptian ship? I don't understand the features either that would uh, cause such a misidentification. Okay, then there's the GTR-5 markings. When the helicopters were flying over and they were looking at the markings, as far as the markings were indicated, they were still on the ship. Why couldn't they then see those markings and return back a message to command that this was an American ship? So then it, it really puts a lot of blame on the uh, helicopter pilots, which they don't talk about. Because they were sent out there to identify the ship. And then they, they the, the ship that was shelling Erish, they never find. So there's a ship out there that's shelling Erish. And they immediately jump to conclusions because the U.S. Liberty is in close proximity. It's 20 miles by the coastline. It doesn't receive the message that it needs to pull back to 100 miles. So it's in the war zone. Uh, tensions are high. There is the order to shoot down, shoot at any identified ship, so it's in the kill zone. And identification is not being communicated. It's like the, uh, kind of reminds me of the BP oil disaster where they blame that on communication breakdown. Naval Court of Inquiry, based on Israeli timeline of events, found one may infer from the fact that within a period of approximately 15 minutes, the request was transmitted for aircraft to be dispatched, received a command decision, made aircraft dispatched, and the attack launched. No significant time was expended in an effort to identify the ship from the air before the attack was launched. Then they get to the point of the speed. So they they get this idea that it's a warship because it's it's speeding along at 32 miles an hour when they're saying that the Liberty's only moving at 5 miles an hour. So who's telling the truth? 5 miles an hour versus 32. Okay, so we need to get to motive. So here comes the motive. James Bamford, among others, says that one possible motive was to prevent the United States from eavesdropping on Israeli military activities and monitoring the events taking place at nearby Gaza. In a study of the incident, concluding that there was insufficient evidence to support either accidental or deliberate attack. So you can't, again, you know, just like I said at the beginning, it'd be crazy to ask the question, why did Israel attack their ally? But that is the right question to ask. Uh, Colonel Peyton E. Smith wrote of the possibility the attack was most likely deliberated for reasons far too sensitive to be disclosed by the U.S. or Israeli government and that the truth may never be known. Okay, so what does he know that we don't know? Why is he talking so cryptic as if he's saying we can't ever know? Why can't we know? People died on it. Is Israel our ally or our enemy in this event? Author and former crew member James M. Eanes theorized in epilogue of his book, Assault on the Liberty, that the motive was to prevent the ship's crew from monitoring radio traffic that might reveal Israel as aggressor in the impending invasion of Syria, which the White House opposed. Okay. Uh, Israeli aircraft markings, U.S. Liberty Veteran Association said the attacking Israeli aircraft was not marked, but crewman recalls watching a Jewish officer cry on seeing the Blue Star of David on their fuselage. The torpedo boots, boats that attacked Liberty flew the Israeli flag. 
Okay, now we get to the torpedo. That's kind of a strange act, too. Israeli ships' actions after a torpedo hit. Officers and men of liberty say that after the torpedo attack and the abandoned ship order, uh, motor torpedo boats stratified the ship's topside with automatic gunfire, preventing men from escaping from below and either machine gunning or confiscated the empty life rafts that had been set afloat. It's like they're trying to kill them. The IDF said the Liberty was not fired upon after the torpedo attacks and that the rescue craft was fishing from the water while searching for survivors. But that's not what the men on the Liberty said. They said that they were under gunfire. And, of course, they're, at that point, they're going to reject any help by the Israelis because they've just been fired upon. Um, the Israeli Defense Force History Ron Ramron report both says help was offered at 11.48 and the offer was rejected. Yeah. It should be rejected. Um, Admiral Lawrence Gist request in his cabin, Sixth Fleet. Don't understand the actions of the Sixth Fleet. He told me that since I was the senior Liberty survivor on board, he wanted to tell me in confidence what actually transpired. He told me upon the receipt of our SOS aircraft was launched to come to assistance, and then Washington was notified. He said, Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara had ordered the aircraft be returned to the carrier, which was done. All right, that's the strange act there. Uh, RADM Gist then said he speculated that Washington may have suspended, suspected that the aircraft carrying nuclear weapons, so he was put together another flight of conventional aircraft that had no capability of carrying nuclear weapons. These he launched to assist us and notified Washington of his actions. Again, McNamara ordered the aircraft recalled. He requested confirmation of the order, being unable to believe that Washington would let us sink. Hmm. Politicians.